This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. And you can find this and other episodes of our talk show on Facebook and our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to Partnership for the Arts Talk Show, where we talk art. It's great to have you join us. Danette, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you today, Dave? I'm doing wonderful. I got my cup of coffee, <laughs> and I'm doing good, feeling blessed. Great. So, great. Sounds good. good to see you again. Nice to see you. You have a whole new lead in there. Sounds good. Sounds good. Kind of threw me off a little bit, though. Well, kind of keep going until Yeah. Exactly. I was just sitting back and... No, no, no chance of that happening. So, as you know, kind of pretty much always, I'm really excited about our guest today. Um, we are joined by Bill Olson, who is the new, new-ish at this point, um, drama teacher at Charlotte High School. And his background is unbelievable. Incredible. We are just so lucky to have him working with our students. So, welcome, Bill. Exciting. Thank you, Dave. Good minute. So, it's my pleasure to be here. So, before we get into talking about your background, yes. let's hear about how things are going at the high school. Well, it's still an adjustment. Being up at 4.30 in the morning, and I'm the night person, I'm in theater. So Wait, why didn't you have to get up at 4.30? Because <laughs> I'm at school pretty much every day by 6.15 or 6.20. Um, our time to be there is 6.35, but I need as much time as possible every day to set my classroom. Unlike certain teachers, my classroom is a teaching lab, laboratory area, so my setup changes almost daily. Sometimes my chairs in a circle, sometimes my chairs are in groups, sometimes my chairs are in auditorium seating. And I have 30 to 40 kids in certain classes that I have to move that all around each day based upon my exercises for the day. So we don't work at desks and chairs in a traditional classroom format by any means. Interesting. Yeah. So. And plus being new, I'm not as with it as some of the regular teachers who've been there who have their curriculum all sort of in their pockets. And they, I'm still developing, still working things out, still trying to figure out what works best with this age group. Uh, my teaching, teaching, my teaching experience previously was at a college level. Right, right. So there are there are differences and changes. Right. <laughs> so, Bill, what is the name of the uh, class or classes that you teach? I teach uh, six periods in okay. the seven period day. So we have all teachers have a free period, and in those six periods, I teach four what we call four different preparations. Okay. So I have two sections of a beginning drama class. So this would be mostly freshman students. Um, although there are a couple uh, upperclassmen, sophomores, so, uh, 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 so to speak, um, but mostly freshmen acting newbies, people, new students who may have had experience at middle school or not, or maybe not. Uh, then I teach two, two, so I have two sections of that, and then I teach two sections of what we call advanced drama. Advanced drama in this uh, structure is everyone above that beginning level. So my advanced classes are a hybrid of what they call drama two, threes, and fours, um, and some are honors students. So uh, so it's a real mix, and I have to address in those two periods each each student at the level that they're at. But we're still teaching advanced acting techniques. Then I have so that's four of my six classes. Then I have a beginning technical theater class, which started out with 45 students. It's a 
lot to take into a one shop. Class. In one class? In one class with, with power tools in a shop. Now there's a challenge. Can you imagine? Uh, that's scary. Amazing. It was frightening. Um, that has moved down to about, I think that class is down to 30. Um, and then I have an advanced tech class, which are the sort of uh, real strong techies, the ones with a lot of it, much more experience, and there's 18 in that class. So um, so there's six different classes, four different preparations. Sounds like you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what I did is I moved some of, I got with the, the administrator, and I moved some of my beginning classes that were upperclassmen into that advanced class so that I could get that 45 number down to something more manageable. Right. And I was patting myself on the back about two or three weeks in, maybe two weeks in, when uh, Mr. Tenning, one of our major administrators and uh, assistant principals, he came into the shop to bring a message, and he looked around and he talked to me later in the hall. He says, I have to tell you, he says, I looked around and I didn't see mayhem. And I was <laughs> and I was pleased. And I said, well, thumbs up, I'm glad you're pleased. I'm trying not to have any mayhem. Yeah. So congratulations. <laughs> not, mayhem is not a goal. I know that you're familiar with the Oslo Repertory Conservatory. I am familiar with right, Oslo, yes. Which is a graduate training program. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been fortunate enough to kind of follow some of their classes. And as they have been ending their semester, I've been able to sit in on some of their showcases. So I know they're taking voice classes, movement classes, sexual analysis, and you know, acting, and probably doing a lot of other things. Right. And it sounds like, Bill, you're rolling all of that into your courses. I roll all that into the curriculum that I'm presented with. Wow. So the state, the state gives us certain curriculum guidelines, right? Uh, that we need benchmarks, so to speak, that we should meet in the course of the year. I get to choose when I want to do what, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but I hit all those points. So when I was teaching at the college level, we taught um, uh, our department. We taught um, acting one, two, three. Um, we had movement for the actor classes. We had voice and diction for the actor classes. In a high school environment, uh, it's necessary, I'm learning this <laughs> every day on my feet, uh, it's necessary to keep the high school kids engaged and keep things moving. Yes, indeed. So uh, we don't get into certain uh, too many details in certain sections, but we, they definitely get an appreciation and an overview. So we did have a movement area, we had a voice section, we talked about diction and articulation exercises, we talked about tone and resonance and how to have breath control. So we're trying to give them the experience about how to use their vocal abilities towards creating character. We also, because the Oslo happened to be bringing uh, Julius Caesar as an assembly to our school. Right, uh, Nanette and I saw that. Yeah. It was an amazing uh, assembly. An amazing, amazing assembly. Yeah. So I took that same time period to expose my kids to classical structure, classical language. And because it happened to pair up with my advanced classes, we're starting to be exposed to doing Shakespearean monologues and scenes, which we are doing right now for our final, our midterm rather, performance. So there are some scenes from Romeo and Juliet, The Nurse and Juliet, for instance, classic scene of Shakespeare. Right. Some uh, pieces from Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, which Port Charlotte High School just did as their production this year a couple weeks ago. And the Nurse and Juliet scene is a favorite of mine. I did that way back in college to much success. Um, and then certain monologues from um, As You Like It or Twelfth Night. Oh, Bill, introducing Shakespeare to anyone is not always easy. So how did you introduce this to your students? Well, what I did is I took that material and I taught the kids, including the beginning level kids, how to scan Shakespearean texts how to understand iambic pentameter, what it really is, what a, what a, what, 
the genius that is Shakespeare to have learned how to take poetry into a five-beat measure, da-dum, 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 which actually mimics more how we really speak. Because any other type of poetry, you know, redfish, bluefish, you know, is based often on a three or four beat measure, which sounds very sort of um, elementary poetry, you know, elementary school rhyming. Right. Not Dr. Seuss-ish. Right. Seuss not that there's anything wrong with that, but in terms of what Shakespeare brought to the table was how to take poetry into a language that sounded more normal and natural on the ear. It still had poetic structure. So I wanted to, before they went to that Julius Caesar performance with the Oslo, I wanted them to have a under, an understanding of what they were about to see and hear. So we, we spent two weeks getting oh, that structure you. all laid out. Um, and, and I also did it for selfish reasons, because I love Shakespeare and I'd like to do a Shakespeare piece next year. So I was testing the water to see if I thought these students at this age could grasp what I was laying out and be excited about it. Yeah. And the other thing that I brought to them, which I was excited about, is when I was in graduate school, I was teaching college at the time and going back to school, to graduate school at FAU, we were extremely fortunate, beyond fortunate, in my second fall semester um, to be taught for four months by two gentlemen from the Royal Shakespeare in London. Really? Wow. And by that point, Bear in mind, I was already a Shakespeare fanatic. I had gone to college myself, I had gotten my undergraduate degree. I had read at that point, I think, pretty much all of the 36 plays. A little light reading there, huh, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> but what these two gentlemen gave me in graduate school was if I had to throw them all away and pick all those plays up and read them again. Because they presented to me like a magic trick. They said, this is something in its very uh, secrets that are hidden in the text that I didn't know about. And the minute that they opened that door, I was like, oh my goodness, oh wow. Oh. And I had to start going back and rereading all these plays as, a, as an investigator, just, just to see if I could find all these clues. And, and, now, and then the minute I, I discovered it, I said, oh, I gotta pass this on. I, so I went back to my own college first and second year students, and I started doing Shakespeare in beginning acting classes, right. because what I was learning in graduate school, I said, well, very well. I mean, not to tell tales out of school, but my colleague at the time said, oh, no, no, no. First freshman college students, they aren't prepared to do Shakespeare scenes in acting class. And I said, why not? So I said, let's give it a try. And so we, I passed out scenes and monologues. And in our, in our world at the college, when we do our final exams, we don't grade our students. Our colleagues in the department okay. grade them. Mm -hmm. So it's unbiased. It's unbiased. So he came in with a little bit of a scowl on his face. I handed him his papers for all the grading sheets, and he watched the two-hour performance. And on the way out the theater, he handed me the sheets, and he said, well, I wouldn't have believed it, <laughs> but they did really well. And, and it was all because I just shared with them the stuff that the guys from the Royal Shakespeare Company shared with me. So how is all this working with the high school students? Well, I am convinced that we can. Because, really? Yes, I'm absolutely convinced. I've got students who are who, who are absolutely picking up what I'm laying down when it comes to understanding how to control the poetry, how to make it alive, how to bring it into a, 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 a sense of understanding and character, because you just have to follow the secrets that he's laid out. And once you follow, once you once you decode it, you decode it, and then you follow that code. 
it all starts to make a huge difference. It no longer sounds dusty and dry, and it also doesn't sound ta-dum, 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 ta-dum anymore. That's the poetic structure, but that's not how actors speak that language. Well, that's not how they should. How they? That's not how they should. Okay, Bill, we'll hold on. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Rusty Manuel. I'm the director of Occupants, The Assassin's Apprentice, and Collar, and you're listening to Partnership for the Arts. Okay, and we want to make sure we give a thanks to movie director Russell Emanuel for that spot. Another man, I'm sure, that is just as busy as Bill also <laughs> talking to here in the studio. A new drama teacher for the Charlotte High School. So, Bill, has there been a decision made on uh, which Shakespeare performance you're going to do? I have to think about it. I mean,、yeah. I thought about Midsummer because of its accessibility, Midsummer, but、yeah. but. But the middle school did do Midsummer、oh, right, in their program、good. this year. They did a Sousafide version of Midsummer. Like I said, Port、yeah. Charlotte just did the real text.、Uh, she edited some, but it actually is the Shakespearean language. So I'm thinking maybe I want to strike out and do something that we haven't.、Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure yet. Just on a Shakespearean note, so back to the Oslo Rep Conservatory and FSU, FSU Oslo Rep Conservatory. Every year, their second year class. Does four shows during the course of the year, and their last show is traditionally a Shakespearean show. That's right. And last year they did、um, Much Ado in Selby Park. Yes, that's right.、Uh, and this year they're doing As You Like It in Selby Park. Oh, perfect. So As You Like It is on my shortlist then, because As You Like It and Twelfth Night, because they're also very accessible. Twelfth Night has some of the funniest actual. Uh, scenarios it's and really language. It's always so much fun to like see a Shakespearean you know, movie or play, and you hear these phrases. Yeah, you're like, ah,、oh, that guy. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Yeah,、right. yeah, that guy. Right. But that was the original source of、yes. the uh, uh, cliche,、yeah. so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Keep and all the common everyday everyday phrases. Yeah. Yes. They say there's an old adage: "There's nothing new since the Greeks." Because that, that's also true. If you can go all the way back to Greek comedy, Greek tragedy, and a lot of our modern sort of sensibility and, and even language structure is buried in their classical language, but it's also true of Shakespeare. Shakespeare was, but he he relied a lot on the Greeks and the Romans, and he got a lot of inspiration from them. Yes, so he just repackaged it. But there is true. We see, we hear, and we see a lot of recognizable elements in Shakespeare's text and language. Taming the Shrew is another play. Oh, really? Yes. Because、Ooh. of its style, it has this comedie de l'arche kind of style with dark、mm-hmm. characters, very broad. Is that another one you're considering? I'm not sure. I have to think about whether it's right at the school. So you got a couple in mind. You just have to make a decision on which one you're going to go with. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, before Shakespeare, yes, you actually hit the ground running, and you already put on a production. That's right. We had our. Big fall drama in October, fantastic. We did our town, and I went to Miss Corsoletti, our principal, and right away at the beginning of well, yeah, beginning of the year, and even before I actually started in July, I sort of laid out my season for the year, and I I said I want, I purposely want to do something that I believe is a strong high school classic. In my in my opinion, no high school student should get out of their experience without studying a, a, a handful of certain plays. And our town is certainly high, high on the list. Now, I believe that they may have done this as a standard high school fair, but I wanted to reinvent it for a new, 
culture in a new society because you know when Thornton Wilder wrote the play he was speaking to the movement from an agrarian society to the industrial revolution and especially what came was coming what was leading us into World War II and how our culture and community and our society changed dramatically after the depression and after the results of the war so he, he sort of foresaw some of that reliance on technology and whatever I don't think he could even have dreamt of how technology has impacted our lives now. Yeah, who could? Right, who could? Who, exactly, who could? I mean, even in my own life, when I went as in college, when I was in college, there was no internet. Yeah, we know. It's right. crazy. Yeah. Or cell phones. Well, oh, cl clearly no cell. But there was no concept of the internet when I was first. In college. Right. Right. So he could never have foreseen some of that. So, Bill, what attracted you to the play Our Town? Why did you want to do it? I was attracted to Our Town because I wanted to bring that modern take. Check back in as a culture. How much are we really losing? We think we're more connected to each other, but in many ways less. And so, but when you're, when you're bringing that different interpretation to a play, you're not changing the text. No, we're not changing the text. You're just changing. I modernized a little bit of the, the sensibility, so to speak. We also did it because it was the 80th anniversary production. Oh, okay. 80, 80 years ago, it won the uh, Tony for Best wow. Drama in 1938. Talk about something with legs. Right, exactly, yeah. Right, exactly. So, but in 1938, he did something that was landmark, and I taught this to my beginning students as well. We studied, while we were doing Our Town in October, I taught play in the class, especially in the Drama Ones, because I felt that they weren't in the show, most of the kids weren't in the show, they came to the performance, but they needed to understand it from an educational mm -hmm. perspective. But when he did something that was landmark at the time, which was to strip on a Broadway stage, to strip away all the conventions. We're come, thinking about, this is a time of Busby Berkeley and sort of musical reviews. Big productions and glamour. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And the audience in 1938 walked into a Broadway theater where there was no curtain, there was no scenery. They saw the bare floor. They saw the bare brick wall of the whatever theater it was in. They saw no accoutrement, so to speak, of the theatrical, no draperies, no red velvet, gold-fringed curtains. Right. Um, and they presented the town of Dover's Corners with chairs and tables and stools and ladders to represent the second floor of the home. That kind of minimalism was shocking at its time. Oh, sure, yeah. Right, exactly. Now you think, you look across the time of theater, we've done that. We've done that in musicals. We've shown the back wall of a theater before. It's not all that new. So did you use the minimalistic approach in your production as well? So we, in our production, we used a backdrop that we lit. We had moon projections. We sort of were a little more evocative. We didn't follow the letter of the script in terms of that stripping away to the minimalistic aspect, as he initially, uh, initially suggested. I had a large, very large, 32-foot round, round platform that was white against a white backdrop. And I did that to have a clear, you'll appreciate that here we're sitting at the Visual Arts Center, I did that to have a clean palette. My concept was to paint the picture of this play and this town and these people on a blank canvas. So it was literally white and it was round to evoke all these symbols and images of the play. The moon, the globe, the world we live in, it was round. So when they made crosses and entrances, they literally walked circularly around, around the clock, so to speak. 
And that's how I block the show. I say, okay, you're going to enter the steps on at 2 o'clock, and you're going to walk around to 7 o'clock on this cross. And that's where you're going to stop. Um, so I wanted to have the reflection of that image of what movement in a circle feels like. And then I did something that was my um, homage, so to speak, to the intention of his play, which is that I put all the actors, all 30 Samad who were in the play, I had them sit on benches on the stage in view of the audience surrounding this round 32-foot round platform. And then I removed all the curtains so the audience could see into the wings, they could see the fly rail, so that we had that sense of seeing that what, we, what we're not supposed to see. Audience don't normally see the fly rail with all the ropes that make the pipes go up and down. Right. They don't normally see that. So right. to be able to look into the wings and see that in the distance. So we didn't see the back wall because at our high school, the back wall is a concert show. So it's yeah. not all that exciting. Yeah. It doesn't look like a traditional Broadway brick wall with radiators and doors. Right. So, so I wanted to observe the backdrop so we could light it with pretty colors and project the moon on it and all this other imagery. And the actors sitting around the stage as the others performed, that's that's quite different as well. Right, exactly. The concept of seeing the actors sitting around the stage, that was the shocking element in my production. So I wanted to have something that shocked the audience. Right. And I had many people came to me and said afterwards, I've never seen that. And to see 32 kids sitting silently, watching the performance. Just to say 32 kids sitting. And sitting silently. Silently, yeah. <laughs> And then when it was their time to enter, they would simply get up from the bench, walk up, step up onto the platform, and shift into character. And then they would do their scene, and then when they exit, they would walk, step off. And the minute that they stepped off those steps, they dropped character. So, you know, a, a, an actor, Joe, you know, Joe Smith, he becomes a character. Right. And when he drops character, he becomes Joe Smith again. Right. He goes and sits back on the bench. And we had a choreography of the benches because you might enter from right and you do your thing and you exit to left. So there's got to be a space for you to sit. So we sort of had to move it around. But it made it, it created a flow. And it created a, a dynamic aspect that the audience got to see actors at work. Because you're seeing the actors when they're not in character. You're seeing them sit by the sidelines. And it added a, a whole dynamic and energy that I think, I, 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 believe, I believe was very successful. And I, and I think that audiences responded to because I had a lot of comments about it. Well, if you heard me whisper before, I was whispering, I love Yeah, And Bill, I don't know if you've had a chance to uh, listen to the show before, but Nanette and I often have discussions about theater. Right. And we often describe her on this show as... I am a theater... Junkie. <laughs> junkie. No, no doubt. And one of the things that I love about being in Southwest Florida is you have these opportunities right. to peek behind the scenes people like you because it's so enriches right enriches your understanding and makes you just appreciate it even all the more and it makes those plays when you see them just so much more enriched when you really do understand what goes into a production like this yeah and my intent was to do that exactly because what we did in the beginning, you know, I had the sound gentleman who did an amazing job with the microphones, um, and Chris Paul and Wendy Paul. Oh, the, yeah. yeah, Wendy Paul and Chris, they take care of my technical elements. They're yeah. an amazing, amazing team. Anyway, so Chris said to me, you know, along the journey, you have production meetings, he says, do you want any pre show music? Which technically you walk in, it shows at 7, from 6 30 to 7, the audience is coming in, they're reading the program, you hear music, and I said, no, no, Chris, I'm going to do something different. 
At 6.30, when the auditorium opened for that half hour, I had the actors on their own arrive to the playing space, to the platform, in a different kind of lighting cue, and they practiced while people watched them. They practiced their mind, if the moms are making mind breakfast, because there were no props. Mind everything that they did, opening of doors, opening cabinets, reaching out, something. So they would practice, and then they would integrate, and they would practice their blocking and their movements. And in that half hour, the audience got to watch that. And so they see the young man practice throwing newspapers, and then they don't know what he's doing until it comes time for the play to start, and, and then it says, oh, here comes, you know, the, the newspaper boy, and he's throwing newspapers, and the audience goes, oh, I saw him warm up, do that earlier, now I get it. Excellent. So that was, that was the music. That was the music for that half hour, watching that all transpire. Peeking behind the curtain, showing what actors do backstage yeah. that audiences almost never get to see. And I would say, Bill, that was uh, an effective yeah. way to do it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a friend who ushers at a number of theaters up in New York. And so she's there early, and she always sees the actors out, like, doing their prep. Exactly. That was like, the concept. And, and we got a chance to but also Julius Caesar. We, because they were, I have an acting class, an advanced acting class. While they were loading in before the assembly started, I went to the production person. I said, hey, my acting advanced class is going to be, I have my class while you guys are doing warm-up. Can we just peek in? So he said, sure, come on in. So we sat in the back and we got to do see that very thing. Got to watch the ASO folks warm up and then they came back later. The kids came back for the actual Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, I know we have to move on to other things. Well, actually, let's wrap up this segment with the rest of the season, all right? Okay, so tell us about the rest of your season. All right, well, we're currently in rehearsal for Into the Woods. Um, it's a musical by Stephen Sondheim. He wrote the music and lyrics, and James Lapine wrote the book. Um, we're doing this also because it's the 30th anniversary. The, Into the Woods won the Tony Award in 1988 season, so we're doing it February 2018, so it's 30 years ago. You know, that is hard to believe. It has been 30 years. I know, it's hard to believe. That is it seems so current, but all of Sondheim's work is so amazing. You think about a show like Company, which he wrote in the 1969-1970 yeah. season. How many years ago was 1970? And Company as a musical is as current and timely now as it was 40-whatever many years ago. So, uh, so this happens to be the 30th anniversary of Into the Woods. Um, and I had also directed Into the Woods once before at the college level when I was teaching there. Um, and so when I came for my interviews here with the principal, Kathy Corsoletti, and the other, um, Jackie Cushman, uh, and Wendy was on the uh, interview committee, and Andy Tenney, they sort of asked me to show my work. And I showed my portfolio, which included pictures and renderings of the costumes and the sets for Into the Woods. And uh, it sort of just evolved over my time there. Uh, after I got the job, Ms. Corsoletti and I were talking about potential shows, and she was like, oh, well, you know, could we bring Into the Woods here? And I said, well, sure. I'd kind of like to do something I haven't done before, but... Sure, we can do that. And and I know that Jackie was excited about that concept. Is this going to be the same production you've done or different? Well, so um, I'm sort of recreating the production I did in 1992. I know, it seems, that also seems like a long time. Oh, no, I've done this already. Well, years ago. I know, but I still do that. Yeah. something completely new. Yeah. Um, well, what would you have liked to have done? I can't tell you because that'll be coming up next year, and I don't want these parents and students to know what's on okay, my Okay, well, we'll do that offline. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, everyone. You have to wait a year to find out. <laughs> part of part of our excitement in the program is to 
revealed the seasons yeah, yeah. In, a, in a clever way. So we had a uh, parent meeting in early September as soon as school started, or actually no, in mid-August as soon as school started, and um, we did the reveal. And now this year, because I'm actually here for the year, we end our year with something called the Tarkin Tonys. It's our version of the Tony Awards, and it happens in May, Okay. just like because the Tonys happen. Right. So we're doing the Tarkin Tonys, and it's my intent to get uh, approval with Miss Corfletti for my next year, and I'm going to reveal my next year's uh, season at Tarkin Tony. That'll be fun. That's it. Well, and you're going to have to come see Into the Woods. Oh, yes. definitely. Right, we'll be there. Yeah, have come to the musical. Yeah, because that show's just right around the corner, isn't it? It's in February. Yeah. February. Yeah. We have show. Do you see me biting my nails over I here? I do. He's biting his nails. <laughs> right. And I've seen that vein coming out of the floor. Yeah, the vein coming yeah. out of the floor. I left the vein yeah. out of the floor. Bill, we're going to uh, wrap up here on part one. We thank you for coming on the show. Bye. Thank you, Dave. In a minute. So my pleasure to be here. Thank yeah, you so much. It's great. Um, thanks, and take care. And yep. you take care too, Dave. And Danette, till the next show. Okay. Okay. Talk to you soon. So this concludes part one of our interview. Join us next week on Partnership for the Arts talk show for more of our conversation. Where we talk art. This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us. As we explore the worlds of art. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. And you can find this and other episodes of our talk show on Facebook and our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org.